Hello, everybody, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I am your host, James Williams, and today we are going to sit down with BearcatJournal.com's Chad Brendel, part of 24-7 Sports. We talked to him about this upcoming Cincinnati football season. We discussed their chances to make the college football playoff, obstacles that might come in the way with that. We also talk about the stars of the football team. The quarterback, Desmond Ritter, who is going to be an NFL player. We're going to talk about MyJ Sanders, who is going to be a first-round NFL player in the 2022 NFL Draft. We also discuss Luke Fickle's success in Cincinnati and how long is he going to stay there? Is he going to stay for a long time and build a Cincinnati dynasty? Chad also explains to us at the end what a Bearcat is. And now, without any further ado... Here's our conversation with Chad Brendel. All right, joining us now is Chad Brendel, who is the owner of the Bearcat Journal, part, partner of uh, 24-7 Sports, covering Cincinnati University Athletics. Chad, I want to start here. This is a very exciting time to be covering Cincinnati football, coming off an incredible season, even though it ended in a heartbreaking loss to Georgia in the Peach Bowl. That was able to bolster them to be top eight in the AP poll to start this year. As we know, there have been no G5 schools to crack the college football playoff. Is this the year that Cincinnati can be the first G5 school to crack the college football playoff? Hypothetically, yes. I mean, you've got the two games on the schedule that that will give them, you know, kind of that, that juice um, in the rankings as you go to Indiana and to Notre Dame um, weeks three and weeks five. So if you win both of those games and, and you end up, you know, you're going to have to go 13 and zero because you'll have to win the American athletic conference championship and, and you know, get to the finish line undefeated. I think, um, you know, the question I guess then would be what kind of seasons did Notre Dame and Indiana have, um, you know, if they're, if they're both, seven and five or eight and four, you're probably going to see a lot of people try to dismiss, you know, well, Cincinnati, yeah, they beat Indiana and Notre Dame, but those two teams didn't have, you know, great seasons, uh, et cetera. So not only are you going to need to win those games, but you're going to need both of those teams to, you know, be in at least in the nine and three, 10 and two range uh, to, to continue carrying the type of weight that you need. You'll have to beat Central Florida, which I think is is pretty clearly their main competition. Um, you know, the more I look at it, the more I think Central Florida and SMU are probably the two teams um, closest to Cincinnati in the American Athletic Conference this year. They get both of those games at home. Um, so if you can win those two, along with winning at Notre Dame, at Indiana, uh, I, I think you're going to have as good a chance as any group of five team has ever had the question will be again, you know, how will they attempt to move the goalposts? Because that's what they do with group of five teams. When it gets near the finish line, they find ways to move the goalposts. Um, so the best way to do it is, is to erase all doubt, win all the games, uh, win as many of them as you can in the American uh, pretty convincingly. And, and then you at least put yourself in that conversation. Um, obviously, you know, if there's, multiple undefeated power five teams uh that makes the the water a little muddier 
but you know, it's uh, it's going to be fascinating to follow, especially if we get to, we get to week six and Cincinnati's still undefeated starting at number eight. And you have to think at that point, they're, they're pushing top five with those two road wins. And, uh, and then the conversation gets very serious. The reason for optimism with it is like you said, you put go on the road too to play Indiana yeah. team. That's uh, 17 right now in the poll Notre Dame. Who's nine at the poll. You go on, you win those. You're probably going to run the table in the American, you know, knock on wood because you're the best team. And yeah, yeah. Defensively, just no one, you know, you always have that edge and it looks like the offense might be able to take a really big step and might be the best under the Luke in the Luke Fickle era. When you look at the reasons to be pessimistic, it kind of sucks that those games are at the beginning of the year because in life, in culture and sports and politics and news, we have very short memories now. So you could win those games early and move up the pole. But then when you're getting towards the end of the year, the arguments all of a sudden going to be, well, like who have they played recently? They played Eastern Carolina. They played uh, South Florida. Like what, what was their schedule really like? And we've seen this in the past. They, they definitely have a bias against G five schools, of course, they even have biases against like power five schools. If you're not like, yeah, the, yeah if you're not the, the made man club. Yeah. Like they, they did this. I think it was the first year that they uh, came up with it. There were two big 12 teams that were four and five. It was Baylor and TCU. They finish out the season. And I, this was before this was why the big 12 ended up getting the big 12 championship game. They're four and five. Ohio State goes and beats the crap out of Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, 59 to zero. They leapfrogged these Big 12 schools yeah. with small private um, Texas schools. And I mean, it, the argument's a little bit null and void because they ended up winning it all that year. Um, you even, again, another Ohio State thing, they ended up beating, or excuse me, they lost to Penn State, didn't win the Big Ten, but they're in the playoff over Penn State. So we've seen that here uh, in the past. So like there's going to be a chance that last week of the season, Cincinnati's 12 and 0, they're just kind of, you know, chugging along. And then let's say Ohio state again, plays Wisconsin, the big 10 championship game beats them 72 to three. And then all of a sudden they leapfrog. And I don't know, that just kind of sucks. I just don't know what's going to happen with that. Well, yeah, that's what I talked about when I said that, you know, they love to move the goalposts. Yeah. You know, you have to do this and then you do it. And then they're like, well, you also have, we forgot to tell you uh, that you'll also have to do this as well. It's like, well, you know, pick something and stick to it. Uh, but again, that's, that's why it's, you know, if Notre Dame, if Cincinnati beats Notre Dame and Notre Dame finishes the season, you know, 10 and two, there's when they say, what has Cincinnati done? Well, they went to 10 and two Notre Dame and won. That's why, you know, if, if they can pull this off and beat Indiana and Notre Dame on the road, you have to have them have success because that still will give you, when you're looking back at their resume, that will give you weight to say, we, you know, if Notre Dame's 10 and two, they're going to be right around the top 10. You know, if, if Indiana's nine and three, they're going to be top 15, top 20, somewhere in there. Um so that will give you that look they went on the road they beat the top 10 they went on the road they beat the top 15 
Uh, whereas if they're both seven and five, eight and four, they're hanging in either at the back end of the polls or they're just outside. And people are going to look at it and say, yeah, they wanted Indiana and Notre Dame, but th this, this isn't really, you know, a good Indiana and Notre Dame team. And that allows them that, that wiggle room they need to say, you know, thanks, pat you on the head and say, good try, but now you're fifth and, and you'll like it. Um, it also, I think, is important that you get a couple teams in the American besides Cincinnati ranked, mm -hmm. especially whoever they play in that conference championship game, because that's where you can kind of jump back into the, you know, if you're playing Central Florida, whose only loss is at Cincinnati in the regular season. Well, guess what? That gives you a chance at the end to say, you know, we're playing, we, we, we beat number 16 or number 18 central Florida for the American athletic conference championship. And we were their only two losses for the year. Um, that gives you that boost that, you know, that, that season you're talking about the Baylor and TCU weren't able to get. If you go into the American conference championship game and you're playing a, you know, a, a nine and three SMU or something along those lines, they're going to look at it and say, yeah, what have they done since week five? Um, and that'll be, That'll be rather frustrating if you're on Cincinnati's and looking at uh, trying to, to crash the party. Could they play Central Florida in the championship game? Aren't they in the same division? There's no divisions anymore. So oh. um, the, once Connecticut left, that took them to 11 teams. They eliminated divisions. Uh, this is the last year they got a waiver to have a championship game with only 11 teams. Um, so, you know, the, there will be the two highest ranked teams in the uh, playoff poll uh, play, you know, first and second in the conference play for uh, the conference championship. So it could very well be central Florida rematch. It could be. The other one would be um, Memphis. It also too, I'm looking at central Florida's schedule right now. They play, if you're just talking about schedule, the only ranked team they play is Cincinnati. They do play Boise state, which, is really yeah. good uh, historically out of in their conference. You got Louisville there too. So yeah, that that's basically that's basically it. Just be doing that. I also think a really good thing for them is that when you look at the other uh, G five schools in the past, like Cincinnati last year, uh, Central Florida in the past, most of them have started the season not ranked, and when they right. prominent prominence. So the fact that Cincinnati is already starting number eight they have less of a path to go to actually crack into that top four and you know if you get there and you stay there and like the pac 12 is kind of you know delusional and all doing their thing but <laughs> the acc is just doing their thing clemson's undefeated maybe a little bit of a down year for the sec even though you know they have an automatic bid even if they're going to have two losses that would be the really big uh stabbing the back or kicking the balls would be if like Alabama yeah. losses and gets in and Cincinnati's undefeated and does it. Cause that it would have to be an sec team. I mean, maybe a down year for the big 10 uh, Ohio state takes a step back. They maybe beat up on each other a little bit, only one big 12 school, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting, really interesting to see what happens. I do think, I think, go ahead. I think that's, what's fascinating is we're not coming into this season with any, clearly runaway freight trains like we went into last year and everybody knew 
this might be the most talented Alabama team of the Nick Saban era. And that's bananas to even like consider with how talented they've been for 15 years. Um, you know, we knew Clemson with Trevor Lawrence was, you know, and that was kind of like in, in leading up to that championship week or, you know, that, that stretch run and into championship weekend and who was going to get in three of those teams were locks. Like it would have taken complete disaster for, for three of those teams not to make the playoff this year. I think it's a lot more wide open. It's a lot more interesting. All of those teams change star quarterbacks. Um, you know, all of them are, are prominent NFL rookies now. So coming into this season, it sets up really well for Cincinnati and that, you know, I just don't know that there's anybody sitting at the top of the heap um, that's just going to play king of the mountain and, and swat everybody down. So that does open the door for an unexpected October loss for somebody or, you know, anybody to kind of kind of trip up along the way, which I think makes it a lot more fun. On that, too, like you said, all of these big schools, all their players left to go to the NFL or a bunch of their players left to go to the NFL. I've kind of thought about this too, and I'm not really sure what to think about it. There are so many teams that have, like you read about all of these uh, team previews, all of them are like, yeah, we have like 25 or, you know, 22 returning starters or 18 returning starters. So many teams have players that are back for their sixth year. And I wonder if guys that are like 23, 24 now, if they're going up against like a 19 year old who, yeah, might yeah talented but these guys might be bigger stronger you know which is way more um into you know knowledge of the game compared to some of these other ones i wonder if just some of these teams along the way might just slip up against a team that isn't as talented but is more experienced and has more togetherness as a team rather than a team that you know just has a lot of talent i'm not sure what to yeah well it's it's you know it's it's kind of like the i talk to a lot of college basketball coaches as well because I run both sides uh, of Bearcat Journal you know the theme in college basketball unless you're Kentucky or Duke or you know somebody that thrives on the one and dones is get old stay old and that's kind of become a theme in college football and especially this year I mean Cincinnati's got a couple defensive tackles that were recruited by Tommy Tuberville like it, you know th that was a long time ago and these are grown men. They're 23, 24 years old. They're two, 310 pounds. Like that's a, that's a whole different type of human uh, than, you know, a lot of 18, 19, 20 year olds. Although when, when you like, you know, at the Bama, Ohio state level, uh, those kids are freaks walking off the bus. Yeah. So it's a little bit different, but when you're talking, you know, in North Carolina, let's say, you know, I know they've got a really good team. They've got an excellent quarterback, but, you know, are they as across the roster as old as some of these other teams that are, that are going to be trying to pick them off? Yeah, too. I'm looking at Clemson's schedule right now. You could argue that, that Cincinnati has a tougher schedule than Clemson. You could argue it. Yeah. The, only the ACC is so weak right now. The only team they play that's ranked uh, in the preseason is Georgia. Yeah, because they, they're opposite divisions as North Carolina, right? So they don't – they would potentially, if everything holds to form, 
they would get North Carolina in the ACC championship game, but there's not a lot of meat on the bones of, of Clemson's schedule, and, and they're perfectly fine with it because as long as they're undefeated, they're, you know, or even with one loss, they're probably in just on, on name brand alone. As long as that one loss isn't in the ACC championship game. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they, you know, they, they play Georgia to start the season, if Georgia wins that game, Clemson still has, you know, every opportunity in the world to make it to the national championship. Yeah, we'll see what would happen, too. I mean, some of these teams might emerge, like uh, NC State might emerge and be ranked by the time they play them, Boston College. Yeah. Louisville, maybe, Wake Forest at the end of the year. Um, Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. But I I think Cincinnati has a really good chance to go pretty far this year, win a lot of games, be in the national spotlight for probably, I guess, the first time in program history. Just so people, you know, know a little bit about Cincinnati – it's easier to know teams and root for teams if you know some of the stars. So I wanted to focus on a few of the stars of the Cincinnati team. Highlighting the offense is quarterback Desmond Ritter. The more I read about him, the more I watch him, the more I hear about him, the more I like him. There's a really good chance that he could have went to the NFL after last season. He's definitely going to go to the NFL after this season. From watching him and covering him over the last few seasons, what is it about him that makes him a special player? One is he just knows how to win. You know, he just, from the, from the day he got here, even as a, you know, a true freshman that redshirted, guys were kind of just drawn to him. And you kept hearing, he, you know, he's running the scout team, and I kept hearing from people inside the program that, you know, guys are just, a, you know, there was thought of playing him as true freshman year quarterback. Um just because he seemed to be a guy that everybody wanted to follow. And you just don't get many guys like that in college football. Um, Now I'm sure he's one of those guys that uh, every fan base that has played against him is like, when is this guy going to graduate? He's been at Cincinnati for 25 years. Um, But you know, it's, it's, he's really gotten comfortable in his own skin. I think he was kind of his own worst enemy at times because he put so much pressure on himself. And we saw that at the start of last season. If you remember, he was kind of shaky the first three games last year. Um, And then he really turned it on and, you know, became the AAC offensive player of the year. But a lot of that was just the heat that he had been putting on himself. And now he's, he's a lot more comfortable in his own skin He understands how to manage the expectations, how to manage, you know, getting through um, an off season and, and how to work in practice. And uh, he's, he's, he's relaxed and gotten quite a bit more um, funny with the media. Like when, when NIL started, he walked up to the first interview we did with them and he's like, I'm getting paid for you. You guys are paying for me this paying for this now. Right. (laughs) um and and joked with us and then earlier this week at practice uh he sat down after practice on a on a bench and my backpack was right there and he's kind of like leaning up against it and sweating on it and i'm like des sweating on my backpack and he's like i'm gracing your backpack with greatness you know and and not in a cocky way but just more Uh in like uh you know having fun and joking around with the guys and, and being comfortable with who he is um and and seeing the progress he's made you know his big thing is if he improves on throwing the deep ball 
then the sky's the limit for him. Cause that's really, you know, he, he, people talk about his inaccuracy. He was a poor deep ball thrower last year and still completed almost 67% of his passes. So if that one little piece where he can push the ball 20, 25 yards down the field or more comes into play, now he's up over 70% along with his ability to run 12 rushing touchdowns. I mean, the kid has every, especially as a college quarterback, he has every intangible, every ability that you could want from somebody. Um, So it's been pretty cool to see, you know, quarterbacks, you usually only get like two years to watch those guys develop redshirt junior and redshirt senior year. They, you know, they, they wait their time, they get their turn, they take over and, and then they, they, they move on. It's been fun with Des to see, you know, his only scholarship offer besides Cincinnati was Eastern Kentucky university. Who's an FCS program. And it, yeah, and it's a lot of people don't know this outside of Cincinnati. Um, he had a a throwing session for Cincinnati's offensive coordinator at the time, and the offensive coordinator had been to like eight different stops and seen a bunch of like three and four star quarterbacks, and he came back, and his guy was Desmond Ritter, who was a two star quarterback, you know, run, that played for a team that that ran you know, 80% of the time. Everybody kind of looked at him cross-eyed like, what are you doing? Who is this guy? The coach was, do you know who the offensive coordinator was that recruited Desmond Ritter? Uh, Fun Cincinnati trivia for you. I feel like I read about that recently, but. Zach Taylor, head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. He talked about that uh, you the other day, didn't he? Yeah, with the athletic, you talked about it a little bit. And, I, and I've talked to Zach about it many times. And Zach just saw something in him that nobody else saw and turned out to be right. Desmond Ritter's been a heck of a quarterback. He's won 31 games his, his first three years as a starter, which uh, is, is really hard to do. He's got a chance to be top five all-time winning this quarterback in college football by the time he graduates. That's, that's, that's a crazy number. I like that you mentioned uh, the it factor with him and his leadership, because that's something that you just can't teach. And I've said this before, we, in the NFL, we really stress the quarterback in college. It's just as important. Like I'm, I'm an Iowa state fan. I don't know what we'd be doing right now. If we didn't have Brock Purdy that just magically, like, like I'm, I'm delirious to what like a good quarterback actually is for my team. Just, <laughs> like how he's been next uh, the past four years and this year, like, I don't know what's going to happen when he, when he graduates, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm very <laughs> concerned, but yeah, Ritter just seems to have all the skill. He's a dual threat guy um, too. I think he rushed for like, what he rushed for like 12 touchdowns last year, I think. Yeah. 12 rushing touchdowns last year, about 600 yards rushing. 12. Do you think there could be potentially some Heisman hype with him? I, I, yeah, if he goes in and think about if he has like, you know, 300 yards, four touchdowns against Indiana and 280 yards and three touchdowns against Notre Dame on national TV, you know, in games against on the road against ranked opponents and, and both teams with really good defenses, then people are going to start talking. Um, you know, his name's already kind of been on the periphery, but if he has a huge year and Cincinnati's 13 and 0 going into uh, December, uh, going into, you know, playoff season. 
then he puts himself in consideration. Can he win it? And that's that's a really tall task to ask. But can he put himself in place where he's invited to the ceremony? Yeah, I think he can. When he can be in the room with like the four Alabama players. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alabama's two wide receivers, their quarterback and their running back. I was going through some Heisman history. I didn't go through like all of the finalists and stuff, but I was looking through just the winners. We talked about like the college football playoff having bias. The Heisman has like a way worse bias where you oh. it, <laughs> you have to be a quarterback or you have to be like an Alabama running back. <laughs> right. You have to be a quarterback at a really, really, you know, premier power five school. Like I think the last one that wasn't, if you want to go the quote unquote power five to win a Heisman was like, I think it was like either the early nineties or late eighties, Ty Detmer won it at BYU. Uh, which was like a weird year. He threw like 29 interceptions that year, but he threw like 40 something touchdowns. So I, I still don't understand how football was played back then. I wasn't, I wasn't alive back then, but yeah, it was really, he's just going to have to, if you were going to win it, he'd just have to have a monster season and get like 50 something touchdowns. And, but yeah, I think a good, a good thing would be to see if he could get invited. I mean, you know, I'm a Marshall guy. So I saw a guy that, that probably should have won the Heisman, although, you know, that was, uh, that was a pretty good Heisman class with Charles Woodson and Peyton Manning. But Randy Moss was, was the best player in college football that year. He just was a wide receiver at Marshall. So uh, even seeing him get invited with the sunglasses on and, you know, I, I don't know if, if you're, you remember that, the Randy Moss Heisman ceremony. But, uh, you know, that, that, was, that was pretty cool for a program like Marshall just to have a guy uh, even, you know, in that conversation when you knew he wasn't going to win. And Ryan Leaf. Sunglasses. <laughs> I just Googled that. Yeah. It's like, he looks like he's like about to go to trial or something. <laughs> like he, I'm guessing his eyes were bloodshot. I, I assume, yeah, he was probably uh, smoked a lot of marijuana before he went there. <laughs> it's probably a safe assumption. <laughs> That'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, if you think Desmond Ritter's good for the offense, there's a guy on the defensive end of the ball for Cincinnati that looks like he might even be like a first round NFL draft pick. That guy's there might be two. There might be two might. first round NFL draft picks on that defense. We'll see. Who the guy I was about to mention is my Jay Sanders. Who's the other one? Ahmad Sauce Gardner who is projected as a first-round pick already. Uh, he's been a first-team All-American pretty much in every, you know, every All-American list that has come out. Gardner has been uh, a first-team All-American at corner. Back, yeah. he's, he, he's been a lockdown guy on the outside. Um, you'll probably remember his biggest play. Complete unknown in 2019. They're playing Central Florida at Cincinnati. And Gardner intercepts a pass at about the 15-yard line for a pick six. And that was kind of his coming out party. Um, the, the quarterback, uh, the QB rating when throwing at Sauce Gardner, it is more efficient to throw the ball into the ground than it is to try to throw at Sauce Gardner. Wow. <laughs> he hasn't allowed he, – he's started for two and a half years. Or for a year and a half, sorry. This will be year three for him. Started for a year and a half. He's not allowed a touchdown. Wow. So, 
Um, I think the pro football focus just had him as the number 21 uh, draft prospect in the country uh, in their top 100 that released yesterday. And then my Jay Sanders was 32nd. So they have two guys on defense an edge rusher and a, and a boundary corner that have first, first round grades, which for a, a group of five program, that's uh, yeah. a, a wealth of riches. Yeah, and that's a credit to the coaching staff, too. Yeah. And the kids, too, obviously, for developing them. But the coaching staff, finding them uh, when they weren't as highly rated, getting them to come in, developing them to be that talented and to be that awesome. Like, you just I, – I was watching the Peach Bowl earlier today just because it was on, like, ESPNU. And just the the tenacity and the aggression of the defense and how they just, like – you know, they just are out physicaling Georgia at times. And – like JT, Dan- like my J Sanders just wanted to like, just wanted to destroy JT Daniels. He wanted to ha- make him have a bad day. Uh, who is kind of, is it Sanders that kind of brings a lot of that tenacity and energy for the defense? Is he kind of the, he's, he's the energy guy for sure. I mm-hmm. mean, he is nonstop. Like yeah. they had a day, um, you know, where they, they, I'm sure one, they felt like at the middle of camp towards the end of camp, he's getting a little fatigued. Uh, they want, they wanted to give him a day off and he just stood there with the defense, like in between the defense and the coaches full pads with his helmet on, on his day off because he just can't turn the motor off. Um, you know, and, and he's one of those guys, if you've got him in your corner, you're real happy <laughs> Yeah, because you know, you're going to get relentless effort. You know, you're going to get his best on every play. Um, you know, and, and he's been, he's been kind of the heartbeat of that defense for two years now. Mm. Yeah. You could tell too, just the body language of him where he just has all this energy and he just, he just loves football. He's oh, yeah. football and he loves hitting and he loves, he loves trying to get the quarterback to either throw a bad pass to uh, fumble the ball, to sack him. He just takes a lot of pride in that. Uh, Let's talk he about got himself in a, he got himself in a little bit of trouble at camp, which was the day before he got a day off might have been uh, tied to his day off. Um, he came off the edge. You're not allowed to touch the quarterback. Right. Uh-huh. And Ritter was was trying to scramble a little bit to get out of the pocket because he knew Sanders was coming. And and my J just reached in and kind of tapped the ball away from him. And Luke Fickle's like, look, that's the money. You don't touch the money. <laughs> But good job. <laughs> he got tired of running past him and tapping him on the helmet. That's been his go-to move this offseason. Is every time he gets home for a sack, he's not allowed to hit the quarterback. So he just gives Des a little tap on the helmet to let him know, like, I would have killed you if I was allowed. <laughs> he's probably gonna tap his helmet so much he's gonna give him a headache. <laughs> <laughs> Concussion protocol. <laughs> just need to get put about for a little bit. Um Cincinnati, historically, just looking through their history here, they've been more of a launching pad than a landing strip for for college talented college coaches, where guys have been able to be there for about two or three years, get the program to great heights that it's never seen before. Then, you know, Mark D'Antonio goes to Michigan State. Then uh, Brian Kelly goes to Notre Dame. Luke Fickle kind of seemed like he was on that path, but it seems like he has just decided recently or not recently, but just how he's wired 
hey, I'm staying here at Cincinnati. Quit asking me about if I'm going to Michigan or a bunch of different Power 5 jobs. What is it about Luke Fickle that uh, makes him different from other coaches where he wants to stay at Cincinnati and build a winning program there? One, he's a, he's a different type of guy than most head coaches. Most coaches are very ego-driven, right, which makes them all climbers for the most part. You know, it's all about attaining the highest possible rung on each ladder. And the difference with Luke is he's, he's maybe the most competitive human I've ever been around, but he does it really without the giant ego. You know, he doesn't have to tell you how much better than you he is. He just knows, you know, and a lot of that comes from, you know, he's a, I don't know if you've, if you know this or not, he's, he was a, a big time wrestler in high school. He lost one match Mm. in high school, you know, and that was his freshman year and his sophomore, junior and senior year, he was undefeated in wrestling. And, And really, if he wanted to, he probably could have gone the route of training to be an Olympic wrestler. And instead, you know, he's, he's a football guy. If you know, Luke, you know, hardcore, he's a football guy. Um, so he picked the football route, but you know, I think that's some of it is he doesn't feel the need to constantly find the next challenge. What he does instead. And I think you're at Iowa state, you're experiencing this with Matt Campbell, some as well. What he does instead is he finds the next challenge where he's at instead of having to find the next challenge somewhere else. You know, and and all the way up to last year, that challenge was winning an American Athletic Conference championship because, you know, the first couple of years, UCF owned it. Then Memphis popped up and had their big year where they beat Cincinnati twice the last two games uh, to end the regular season. And then in the American Athletic Conference championship, they went a, a pair of one score games in 2019. So he was driven for that. And then last year they accomplished that. They win the American Athletic Conference and get to a New Year's Six Bowl. His new motivation, his new challenge that he's talked about all offseason, he doesn't want to make Cincinnati a top 10 team. He wants to make Cincinnati a top 10 program. Meaning, when you look at the AP preseason poll every year, while maybe they're not always in the top 10, they're somewhere right around. You know, and they've got that respect and they've got that pipeline of talent built up that every year they're a a competitor and that's kind of how he's wired and and I think that's you know he talked about this on the sports center earlier this week I I think that's where him being comfortable staying comes from as much as anything he's not looking to uh to jump he's looking to okay what's the next challenge here let's accomplish that next challenge here and then we'll reassess from there. Is there something more, you know, from there? And, and as long as he thinks like that, I think there's, you know, look, if, if Notre Dame or Ohio state come calling, we're kidding ourselves to think Luke Fickle's, you know, going to stay in Cincinnati and turn those jobs down, but he's turned down a lot. I mean, he's, he's turned down West Virginia. He's turned down Florida state. He's turned down famously Michigan state uh, as that one was in the news. Uh, very recently, you know, he's turned down Louisville. He's turned down NC State. There have been a lot of places that that the outside world thinks are a significant jump up from Cincinnati, and Luke Fickle doesn't see it that way. 
And I think that's evidenced by the fact that look at where those programs are with their new coaches. And Luke Fickle's got Cincinnati at number eight in the country going into the season. With some of these smaller schools too, that I don't even want to say smaller schools, but schools that might have lesser historically, at least expectations. There's a lot like less need for change. Whereas, you know, if, if he was at, let's say he was at Penn state right now and you know, you went 12 and 0 this year, but then the next season you went eight and four at Penn state, they start panicking. They yeah. go from Michigan. They start panicking like, Oh, who, who are we going to blame? Who are we going to blame? And then they'll be like, Oh, we'll fire an offensive coordinator, fire, fire a defensive coordinator. And you read some of the stuff with these bigger schools. Like I was reading about that with, uh, with like Penn state, I think they're on their third offensive coordinator in three years now. So they fired him after like that last year, crazy COVID season where everything yeah. could go wrong, went wrong for them. And I think they just panic and fired just because they needed a fall guy. And I mean, at some of these bigger programs too, you also have the pockets to where you can be like, Hey, Tom, Herman, yeah. assistance, here's 25 million. We're going to, we're going to pretend <laughs> like, <laughs> we're going to pretend like, uh, you know, we're just going to throw 25 million away for you guys to leave. And uh, going off of that too, money is very much like a driver now in sports and how we view it. It's always been a driver, but more so now than ever, it seems like people are just making decisions based off of money. And it's like, oh, well, like I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go to this job here, even though I've just been at uh, this school for like two years, I'm going to go and double my salary versus like Luke Fickle could stay at Cincinnati for like 20 years and he could be like, literally a, a school legend and there could be a statue built of him. Like I was thinking about this cause I have an interview that I'm going to be taping later tonight uh, about UCLA. And I was looking up stuff with Chip Kelly, like Chip Kelly was at Oregon only for four years. Like for me, I thought like he was there for like eight, but if he would have just, and it, he leaves, you know, kind of flails out at a few places, but if he could have stayed at Oregon, could he have like, you know, been there for 15 years like won a national championship, maybe won 12 pack 12 titles and like had like a statue built um, of him. Or is he, you know, just going to flame out this year at UCLA and it's all over for him. And he had, yeah, he had that fun Oregon thing for a while, but like, and yeah, sure. He went and made a bunch of money, but like, you know, at the end of the day, like, what are you doing this for? What do you want to be remembered by? And it's just really refreshing when we have guys like Luke Fickle, Matt Campbell, that, I mean, you know, who's, who knows? Maybe we could have this conversation a year from now and they're both gone. <laughs> but, yeah. But the well, way I, I think coaches are learning. Yeah. Like if you, if you're somewhere that you're comfortable, Luke Fickle's making three and a half million dollars a year. Yeah. Three and a half million dollars a year in Cincinnati is a King's ransom. Yeah. Like you're making great money. Your family's happy. Your kids are in great schools. Your wife is happy. Like, what exactly are you looking for somewhere else that you don't already have here other than, you know, going to one of the blue bloods and trying to, to win a championship, you know, every year, not just trying to take a, a couple swings at it, but knowing like we talked about Clemson goes 11 and one and their losses to Georgia Clemson's going to going to be in a playoff. Um, so I, I think there are some coaches that are starting to see, you know, after this trend of it was two, three years and everybody jumped. And as soon as that iron, as soon as they felt that there was, you know, some, some ability for them to start climbing the ladder, they tried to take it. But you know what happens? 
is they got the money. Butch Jones, perfect example. Butch Jones got the money to go to Tennessee. But then in a couple of years, he's gone. And he's washing Nick Saban's car for three years. <laughs> if he stays at Cincinnati and has success, he has a longer career making increasing levels of money while it might not have been that one giant sum you made in four four years or whatever it was he was at Tennessee it is a lot more than you know getting fired and and being Nick Saban's valet for a couple of years even though that pays like four million a year to be his valet it does pay well that's not <laughs> that's not a that's not a terrible job <laughs> Yeah, a few guys like Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern's been there forever. Right. Gary Patterson, TCU, Kirk Ferentz, Iowa. Like, these guys are legends there. And, like, they they all could have went left and went for NFL jobs. Like, um, but, I mean, Gary. Ferentz came up in the NFL every year for five, six years, it felt like. Yeah, but he stayed there. He's built something. He's went to six Outback Bowls. Um. But yeah, it's it's just really really nice to see, really refreshing. Um, you think Luke Fickle might be like the best coach out of all the guys that? Because he, he, these are the last five coaches: Mark D'Antonio, who was really good at Michigan State; Brian Kelly, who's obviously been pretty good at Notre Dame; Butch Davis, Tommy Tuberville, Luke Fickle. Is he the best one of those five? Um, I mean, it's hard to tell. It's difficult. To, well, I mean, one, it's difficult to say better coach than Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly has played, you know, in multiple, multiple playoffs and, and BCS games at Notre Dame. Uh, he had a little bit of a bumpy patch, but he got things back on track. But I think if you're talking in terms of just their Cincinnati uh, period of their career, I think if you're a Cincinnati fan, you take Luke Fickle just simply because he's, he's stayed longer. You know, he, he's, he's built something that is, sustainable as opposed to you know a lot of times at the end of the brian kelly era and into the start of the butch jones era that first butch jones team went four and eight because they had lost a ton of that talent from the 2008 and 2009 teams that went to the orange bowl and the sugar bowl and and brian did not do a great job replacing or having you know enough talent in the pipeline to, to replace them quickly so I, I think his desire to stay, I also think Luke Fickle is much more Cincinnati than Brian Kelly was. And Brian Kelly was a politician from New England. He worked in the Gary Hart campaign before he got into uh, football coaching. Like, I, I just think Luke is, because of his Ohio ties, because of his, you know, kind of blue-collar work mentality, um, I, the people in Cincinnati just love this man. And I think that gives him a little bit of an edge uh, on the field. And obviously they're different coaches, especially people forget when Brian Kelly was in Cincinnati, it was five wide, spread it out, throw it all. Come much more of a, you know, his program is much more defensive minded and offensive line driven at Notre Dame, because that's the type of talent that you get at, at Notre Dame. It's a little yeah. bit different. Um, but you know, and, and obviously Luke is run it down your throat third and four, you know, move the chains and beat you up defense first. Yeah. Well, we'll find out October 2nd, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, 
That'll be so my... many storylines in that one. Yeah, too, because it didn't uh, didn't Cincinnati's defensive coordinator uh, get hired in the offseason by Notre Dame? Yeah. yeah. So two years ago, Brian Kelly's uh, probably his best defender when he was at Cincinnati was a kid named Mike Mickens. Mike Mickens was a first-team All-American cornerback on the 2008 team on the Orange Bowl team. Uh, would have had a really good career in the NFL, but uh, was drafted by Dallas and, and hurt his knee and never really had his NFL career take off. Well, Mike Mickens was the cornerback coach at Cincinnati. And Brian Kelly said, hey, <laughs> you know, you were, you were an All-American for me. Why don't you come be my quarterback coach at Notre Dame? And then Marcus Freeman, um, who was the hottest name in the assistant coaching market last year, um, is now at Notre Dame as their defensive coordinator. The crazy thing there is Mickens and Freeman both went to Dayton Wayne High School, and they were teammates. Uh, so those two have uh, – they're like best friends. So they're both at Notre Dame now. And Cincinnati's offensive coordinator, Mike Denbrock, was the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. And, you wow. know, guys like – guys like he's the tight ends coach. Uh, guys like Kyle Rudolph um, and – Oh, played for the Bengals, whose name is a skid. Tyler Eifert. They were his kids in the tight end room at Notre Dame. Now Mike Denbrock is the offensive coordinator at Cincinnati. So he worked like four or five years for Brian Kelly. So there are storylines all over the place in this one. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It was like playing musical chairs with all the <laughs> kind of, yeah. Just like coached every, yeah. every group. They've had every office in both. Notre schools. Dame is Notre Dame has kind of treated Cincinnati as like their feeder system. Wow. Like you train them up and then we'll bring them up here and, and pay them more and whatever. Oh, you found another it's one. A, <laughs> yeah. It's a sensitive, it's a sensitive topic for Cincinnati fans. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have one last question here. This is going to be the hardest question I've asked you today. What's a bear cat? Uh, it's, it's, it's a binturong. Is oh, the what? official, like uh, the official bear, the, like that's what a bear cat is. Yeah. It's a, it's a animal that lives in, I think, Southeast Asia, really long tail. Uh -huh. uh, and it kind of looks like a cross between a bear and a cat. Uh, they have one. They have a couple at the Cincinnati Zoo. Um, they they apparently this is the craziest thing I can tell you about a, a binturong. Apparently, they smell like buttered popcorn. Wow. I don't <laughs> necessarily know how that works, but uh, apparently, and they love bananas. Uh, <laughs> the Cincinnati Zoo will will every, you know they used to every game they would bring the the bear cat out and it would like stand on the shoulders of its trainer and he would just stand there and feed it bananas. So, you know, it became kind of a running joke about the, the bananas and Lucy, the bear cat. Uh, and I even at one point had somebody on my message board uh, that their, their username was Lucy loves bananas. <laughs> but that, that's, that's what a bear cat is. Um, where the name actually came from though, is. um, a, a guy that's last name was bear b-a-h-e-r mm -hmm. um and they just took the the bear cat name from teddy bear and changed the nickname to bear cats so they were the first ever bear cats in the in the country <laughs> bear cats that's awesome I, I yeah i was i was thinking about that today and i was like you didn't think i'd have an answer did you 
I thought you'd have something, but that, that 16 was, years on the beat, you, you figure it out. Sometimes you run out, <laughs> you have to write about everything, don't you? you get- exactly. <laughs> content is content. All right. That's awesome. Uh, Chad, thanks a lot for doing this. That's Chad Brendel, uh, bearcatjournal.com. Is, is it Chad Brendel on Twitter or is it Bearcat Journal? Yeah, it's just at Chad. Well, I, so don't be fooled. I have somebody that works for me that runs the Bearcat Journal Twitter account. Uh-huh. So that is not me. You can find me on Twitter at Chad Brendel. All right. People didn't need to hear from me twice. Once is enough. (laughs) That's awesome. Thanks a lot, Chad. I appreciate it, man. All right. That's going to do it for the podcast today. Once again, thank you to Chad Brendel for stopping in with us. And we got a little bit of a surprise uh, this week. We have another podcast that I plan on posting shortly after this one. We're going to be talking to someone who is an expert on a certain team in the Pac-12. Again, go follow Chad on Twitter. Go check out his work if you want any insight into the Cincinnati football program or any other Cincinnati athletic program over the course of this season. As always, guys, thank you so much. Have a nice day.